Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. What's going on, everybody? And welcome into Fantasy Baseball Today on Wednesday, May 12th. Frank Thamful joined by Scott White. Lots to talk about. Today will be a good test of pacing, which I will admit is not my strong suit. We've got the worryometer for hitters. We haven't talked about buy, sell, and hold on some starting pitchers. Lots of interesting starting pitching performances from Tuesday, as always. I want to talk a little bit more about Jesse Winker. Do we need to do we need to boost this guy up a little bit? I think the confidence is growing there, Scotty. And I have an outfielder that I think you should be buying in on. Let's jump right in. Oh my good goodness gracious. All right, Scott. How you doing, bud? How's how's life? You alright? <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. I don't know if you want me to get into my uh, my woes, my health woes here. No, no, no. Very, yeah, that would that would be the kind of like sad story a grandparent would tell to uh, <laughs> to fill the time. We don't need to do that. We got a lot of pitchers to talk about. So we do indeed. Take it away. The one I'm going to pick is Madison Bumgarner, who um, was amazing again against the Marlins this time. And uh, that was what his almost no-hitter was against, too. It was also against the Marlins. But actually, no, that's not true. That was against the Braves. Okay, second straight start against the Marlins for Bumgarner. Second dominant outing. Nine strikeouts, seven shutout innings, only four hits allowed. He's allowed a grand total, total of 12 hits. Madison Bumgarner has 12 in his past five starts. So what a turnaround for this guy who looked helpless, hapless and helpless last year and at the beginning of this season. We've seen the velocity go up to, you know, pre-2020 standards uh, over the course of this five-star run. But what really makes him, oh my goodness gracious, velocity went up again. It was way up. He averaged 92.6 on his fastball against the Marlins. Remember, this is a guy, we were... We were excited about him almost reaching 91, and he averaged 92.6 in this. This is that's like that's like going back to prime Bumgarner before the before the dirt bike accident. Uh, 
one start, but still, I didn't even think he had it in him anymore. I, I, I don't know. There's, there's not, I, I don't, I don't see much reason to be concerned about him at this point. It just looks like he's back. Yeah. 92.6 miles per hour on the fastball. I was going to do a little quick, uh, game log run and see when the last time mad bum actually averaged that much on his fastball, but it probably would take a good amount of time. So Scott, I mean, is your, what is your confidence level in mad bum to this point? Like, do we need to prop him up inside of our top 60 starting pitchers, our top 50 starting pitchers? Cause it seems like we've been pushing a lot of pitchers into that range recently, but a lot of people are also performing well. Madison Bumgarner is one of them. Yeah, so I had him right at 60 prior to this start. I was just messing around with my rankings prior to it. And uh, yeah, so I I feel like I'd move him ahead of Pineda. I'd move him ahead of Zach Eflin. Robbie Ray had another great start today. Dylan Cease, kind of a so-so start, but really like the underlying numbers. We'll get into that, I'm sure. So yeah, there's only so far I can move Bumgarner up. You know what? I might need to. I might need to drag like... Frankie Montas, Nathan Avaldi, who was, you know, he had a quality start today, but I, I don't really love what I'm seeing in the underlying numbers. I might need to drag those guys down to get Bumgarner up closer to 50. But yeah, it's getting it's getting crowded in that it's getting crowded in that 30 to 60 range at starting pitcher. <laughs> the the what I had been referring to for the past few years as the small very small middle class at the position. It's it's suddenly becoming <laughs> robust. It's just a giant middle class now of yeah. like pitchers in the couple of, past couple of years that have been just decent that are turning themselves into awesome pitchers all of a sudden. But as we spoke about yesterday, that's kind of the way that baseball is trending right now. Uh, last one for you here on Bumgarner, Scott. Bumgarner or Chris Paddock? Yeah, that's a, that's a top. I really don't see any reason. I mean, given that there is this surplus of of options we feel pretty confident in. I don't see reason to hold out hope for Paddock. I mean, there are some good signs. He may well be fine, but what would fine look like? Kind of kind of what I expect Bumgarner to be at this point, right? Like, it's not like Paddock, even, even when he uh, had that great rookie season, it's not like he was striking out 11 per nine, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I probably need to drag him down too. Yeah, I think I would agree at this point. Bumgarner at least has three pitches that he can go to consistently. Chris Paddock really only has one and a half. He doesn't really use his curveball all that much. Mad Bum on Tuesday used the four seam, the cutter, and the curveball at each 27% of the time or more. So he's got those three pitches that he can rely on. The last time he averaged 92.6 miles per hour on his fastball in a start was June 9th of 2019, so it has been a while there for Madison Baumgartner. Scott, I'm going to talk about a starting pitcher as well for my, oh my goodness gracious, player from Tuesday, Shohei Otani, man, at the Houston Astros, and this kind of leads back into the discussion of, all right, well, how do we get fantasy points for both the pitcher and the hitter? Because it just, it stinks to see this happen when he's on your bench. Seven innings, one run, well, in your utility spot. Seven innings, one run, <laughs> one walk, 10 strikeouts against the Houston Astros, who have one of the lowest swinging strike rates in all of baseball. 15 swinging strikes for Otani on 88 pitches. The guy just looked absolutely unhittable. And speaking of unhittable, he's allowed 11 hits with 40 strikeouts 
in 25 and two-thirds innings pitch. This is the type of performance that you can get when his control is actually on and he's not walking the entire world. This is Otani's first start with one walk since May 20th of 2018, which sounds drastic, but it's actually only been eight starts since that start. So uh, he's dealt with a lot of injuries, but this was far and away the best I've seen Otani look as a pitcher, Scott. And I think at least heading into next week where if what I was looking at is correct... The Angels are scheduled for eight games, so they probably have a doubleheader somewhere in there. I think he's going to have a two-star week, so we're we're actually going to have to yeah. decide use him as a pitcher or use him as a hitter. Yeah, and we uh, that that looked like it was going to be true last week too, but then he had to start pushed back uh, because of a a minor issue he was dealing with. But yeah, I mean, only only one walk. It 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 was a it was a big turning point because while he was certainly missing a lot of bats prior to this start. 19 walks in 18 and two-thirds innings is what he entered with uh, into this start. So to have only one and against the um, the Astros, that says a lot. That says a lot. Now, 88 pitches in seven innings, that was efficient. The, the thing is, even though he was getting a lot of strikeouts, a lot of walks in the other starts, he wasn't wasting a lot of pitches. Like his, his, his pitch counts were surprisingly low, I would say, considering... Uh, all those walks and strikeouts. So, like, he's he's basically been unhittable from the beginning. But you're kind of burying the lead here, Frank, I feel like, for Otani's performance, because what might be even a bigger deal than than how well he pitched is that when he was removed from the mound, he stayed in the game as the right fielder. And I didn't even notice. Good catch. This is This is actually his second appearance this year. In the outfield. So he's three away. Um, I just love I just love that Joe Madden is like all, all the rules the Angels laid out for Otani previously. He's just breaking them all. <laughs> he's just breaking them all. We can use him in the field. Why not? And and they should. They I mean, well, look, based on how he's playing, Scott, they should break the rules for him because Yeah, I mean he's proving he can do it. It's a long season and we're like a fifth of the way into it. So yeah. it's it's worth saying that. He may not be able to for all six months, but yeah, I mean, right now, enjoy the ride. You know, as to whether or not I'd use him as a as a two star pitcher next week or a hitter, in most instances, I'd probably still use him as a hitter. I think in a points league, you might think about using him as a pitcher, or just a league where you happen to be stacked at hitter and short on pitchers. Probably not a a lot of those circumstances out there, but maybe. If anybody out there has a solution for how to get the production for both hitter and pitcher Otani as one player, send us it, send it in. Email us fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Tweet at me at roto underscore Frank. Well, Scott at CBS. I, I got Scott a solution White. for you. Just count all the stats no matter where you start. Start them at either spot. Yeah. And just count all the stats. He would be a bona fide first round pick. You know, if you say, oh, but I don't want to count all. I don't want to have to count all the hitting the hitting stats for all pitchers. Fine, just count the stats he produces when he's not listed as a pitcher on the lineup card. Or, you know, if universal DH becomes a thing, just start counting all stats for all pitchers because there it won't there won't be that many being put up. Yep, that was my next point. I was like, starting next year, we probably won't even have to worry about that. So hopefully that's the case because we we've got to figure this out, man. We have to get pitching and hitting stats for Shohei Otani. Before we get to the news and notes, just wanted to let you know 
What's going on, CBS Sports HQ this week? As always, CBS Sports HQ is your home to start your sports news day with live updates kicking off each morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time. And HQ is always your home ahead of the evening's action with live picks from the best analysts and cappers in the sports world each day at 6 p.m. Eastern time. On Wednesday, NFL experts today, when you're listening to this, will be breaking down this 21... 2021 schedules and our cappers will be making Preakness picks ahead of Saturday's race. So check out HQ on your computer on cbssports.com or via the CBS Sports app on your mobile phone or TV. It's always free. It's always on CBS Sports HQ. Some news and notes from Tuesday. Fernando Tatis unfortunately has tested positive for COVID, which means he'll be out at least the next 10 days, maybe a tad longer as he gets himself back into game shape. Jerickson Profar and Jorge Mateo were placed on the IL for contact tracing reasons as well. Corbin Burns will likely return Thursday this week and start against the Cardinals, according to manager Craig Council. Christian Yelich is participating in all baseball activities, which it seems kind of soon, Scott. Honestly, I mean, the guy just came back. He went on the IL, I believe it was last Monday night after he played. It seems kind of soon, so. I agree. Uh, Cattell Marte ran, hit, and caught fly balls on Tuesday at Chase Field. He said he's hoping to start a rehab assignment Thursday or Friday this week. Nate Pearson was optioned back to AAA. He walked five and allowed three runs in two and a third innings pitched on Sunday against the Astros. George Springer has been able to swing a bat, but isn't expected to start running until Thursday. Another one, man, like Yelich. Just let this guy rest up. We don't want to rush George Springer back. Jeff McNeil left Tuesday's game with body cramps. Chris Bryant left with, quote, sinus stuff. Carlos Martinez was placed on the IL with a right ankle injury. Amir Garrett had his suspension reduced to five games, which he started serving on Tuesday. Javier Baez was scratched with lower back tightness, which he's kind of been dealing with off and on for the past couple of weeks or so. So that's another one I feel like the Cubs just give him some time to rest a little bit there. Wilson Ramos could return from the IL when first eligible on Monday. David Price threw a simulated game Tuesday at Dodger Stadium. Tony Gonsolin is scheduled to throw two innings against live hitters later this week in Arizona. Brandon Belt left Tuesday's game with mild left side tightness. And I did have a prospect update. I didn't get an opportunity to look at Tuesday box scores yet. But from Monday, Joe Adele hit a pair of home runs at Triple A. The worryometer on hitters that we haven't really talked about and I kind of see a common theme here with at least the first four hitters. So uh, you tell me if you if you see the same theme as well. And we'll, we'll try and figure this out together, Scott. But Eddie Rosario went 0 for 3 on Tuesday. He is now batting 228 with uh, with a 645 OPS. He has a couple of home runs. I think he has three home runs, but he is running a little bit, which has helped his value. He has five steals in the season. What is going on with Eddie Rosario? What is your worryometer on him, Scott? Okay, so I will try to give player-specific analysis here because that's what the segment calls for. Yep. But just to kind of to kind of preface the whole thing, I have no faith in my ability to evaluate hitters in in this range right now. Kind of that kind of that middle tier of hitters, guys who are clearly underachieving so far, and there's a lot of them. I have no idea because like the landscape appears to have changed so much. And um, 
I feel like I need to wait for it to recalibrate to have an, some idea what I'm talking about in terms of, okay, well, this guy looks like there's nothing wrong with him. He's going to bounce back. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how to pick out which of these guys specifically will and which won't. I mean, Eddie Rosario specifically strikeout rate looks fine. Average exit velocity, fine. I don't see anything in the data that's particularly alarming here. So I would still have as much faith in Eddie Rosario as I ever did, except that I don't have faith in this class of hitter as a whole. Do you have a worryometer number on him? Uh, five. <laughs> five. <laughs> nice. Right straight down the middle. All right. Um, the biggest thing that stands out to me, and as I'll point out with these next three, is... I think that these are clearly the hitters that are being affected most by this ball, right? So it's you know, Eddie Perhaps. Rosario, Mike Moustakis, Lourdes Gurriel, Kevin Biggio. Not hitters that potentially uh, that actually hit the ball all that hard. I mean, they all kind of put the ball in the air well, wait, a decent wait, amount. Go through those names again. Eddie Rosario, Mike Moustakis, Lourdes Gurriel, Kevin Biggio. Because Gurriel does hit the ball really hard. He has at times in the past. I mean, he's been a little bit inconsistent in his career where he gets off to these slow starts and, and then he heats up. But yeah. you know, in particular for these four, it, it just seems like they made the most of just putting the ball in the air a decent amount, right? Like volume, fly ball hitters, basically. And, and it seems like they would be the ones affected by this ball, which is clearly not traveling as far as it used to. In particular for Eddie Rosario, his home run to fly ball ratio is 8% this year. The year before, it was 15.9. The year before, 15.8. So that mm-hmm. kind of sounds like he's just being affected by this new baseball. But we can take a closer look at Mike Moustakis, who uh, is another one. He's always hit the ball a good amount in the air. This year, he's got an 18% infield fly ball rate. Those are automatic outs. So that's definitely something that's contributing to his 218 um, batting average. So what do you think about Mike Moustakis, Scott? Worryometer. I mean, Mike Moustakis has been around a long time, right? He's he's been through some eras, uh, and and really for home runs specifically, judging by the league wide rate, I, I feel like the closest the, the the year to compare it to is twenty eighteen, which was during it was still during the home run explosion. It was the worst year of the home run explosion, but still, like historically speaking, relative to the decade as a whole, still a good time to. A, a good year for home runs. So, I mean, Moustakas hit 28 home runs in 2018. His worst total of of that run. He had a 38 homer season before. He had a 35 homer season in 2019. You know, as we talked about yesterday, BABIP is where you see the most dramatic change. BABIP is historically low. Strikeout rate is historically high too. You You expect that, but that... When hitters make contact, so few hits are resulting from it. That's really that's really the thing I don't know how to account for. Yeah, Moustakis, I, I would say of this group, if I'm ranking them from most confident they'll be okay to least confident they'll be okay, Gurriel, I'm most confident will be okay. Then Moustakis, then Rosario. Kevin Biggio, kind of a distant last year. I mean, Kevin Biggio was someone you could you could easily peg to to have problems if 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 the uh, the effect of the ball changed too much 
And uh, I think it was on all our bust lists coming into the season for that reason, in part for that reason, in part because it looked like he overachieved even with the ball as it was. All right. So if you if you were trying to buy low on on any of these, Guriel is the one that you feel the most. Yeah. No, I I totally am with Chris as Guriel. Guriel is a buy low candidate. You know, we're kind of poking fun earlier. Him saying he'd trade Carlos Rodon for Guriel to me that doesn't seem like a buy low trade, but just the idea of trading of of buying low on Guriel I think makes sense. Mm -hmm. And Guriel is another one where his home run to fly ball ratio so far this season is. 6%. 6%. Last year, it was 20%. The year before, it was 20%. So another one where you're seeing those fly balls just not going out of the yard. Uh, for Kevin Biggio, actually, his home run to fly ball ratio is right in line with where it was last year. Uh, it's a little bit down from 2019. He is he's hitting a few more line drives, but uh, the strikeout rate is actually up a decent bit for Kevin Biggio. So uh, we can move on from, from that group of hitter, but I just... I just kind of all think that they're like in a similar spot where those fly balls are just not flying out. It's not really the case for Josh Bell because he's just hitting so many ground balls. He went 0 for 4 with two more strikeouts on Tuesday. He's batting 134. And I wanted to say like there's some optimism for his May batted ball data. 25% line drive rate. That sounds good. Ground ball rate down to 44%. All right, we could work with that. And then a 20% infield fly ball rate. So... So, I mean, yeah. what, what do we do with Bell at this point? I, I think in deeper, I have him in a 15-team league. I'm not going to drop him there because you have a corner infield spot there as well, but like in a 12-team points league? Nah, that you can't hold on to him yeah. anymore. I mean, he's just unstartable. The Ryan Zimmerman is stealing so many starts on top of all the struggles. Uh, I, I have a theory that he got messed up this spring from having to... You know, because he was on such a roll this spring. I have, I have a theory that his swing got messed up when he had to sit all that time at the start of the season and just like his swing, as we saw during his amazing 2019 season, it, it can be so finicky yep. um, that he's just had a hard time regaining it and being in and out of the lineup so much probably hasn't helped with that. So I haven't ruled out the possibility Josh Bell comes roaring back, but like roster space is too precious for you to 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 devote a spot to him indefinitely. Would you drop Josh Bell for... I, I would have said Brandon Belt, but he left with an injury today. We talked about him yesterday. He's got some interesting stat cast numbers. Uh, man, there's not really a, a great group of first base eligible players available. How about Jamer Candelario? Would you make that move? Uh, mm, probably not, unless like I had to have somebody starting right now. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at players rostered in under 60% of leagues. Miguel Sano, no. I mean, how about Ryan Mountcastle? He's been playing better, but strikes out a ton as well. Yeah, I don't have a lot of faith in Mountcastle. I just, I'd stick with Bell if that was the case. If that was the only alternative. Mm, yeah. All the interesting first basemen, they already got scooped up. Like Jesus Aguilar is 83% rostered. Nate Lowe, 89%. Yuli Gurriel is off to a great start, but he's 95% rostered as well. It it might just have to be an exception out there in a shallower league. Yeah. Which can happen. Maybe just make a trade for, try to make a trade for a first baseman if you have Josh Bell and and just kind of stash him on the bench right now. Though, again, in those shallower leagues, 12-team points, 10-team anything, I I think you could drop Josh Bell for now. Uh, uh, Jorge Soler, I was getting ready to rip this guy a new one, and then he goes out and has a great game on Tuesday. He went two for five with his third home run, put up six RBI. The problem is he's batting only 200, and 
He's been really inconsistent throughout his career, Scott. He had that monster, monster 2019 season with the juice ball, uh, but he's been just kind of meh since then. Worryometer, Jorge Soler. Maybe, I don't know, five, six. He's probably going to get hot at some point and hit a ton of home runs because he, he hits the ball as hard as almost anybody. I mean, he's right there behind like the Stan Judge class of of hitters in, in terms of how hard they impact the ball. Probably right there, like with uh, Miguel Sano and Joey Gallo. Uh, early in the season, the strikeout rate was resembling more of a Miguel Sano, so you could understand why he was struggling. But it's down below 30% now. And um, yeah, he's in the 99th percentile for hard hit rate. He's in the 98th percentile for average exit velocity. So... He's going to start hitting some balls over the fence here, I think. Solaire will. Another one. 6.5% home run to fly ball ratio. This is last year it was 23%. In 2019, it was 28%. So even someone who impacts the ball as hard as Jorge Soler has been affected by, you know, this this ongoing problem that we that we see in baseball. So and, and this is someone who hits the ball extremely hard, as you as you pointed out, Scott. So would you drop him anywhere? Would you drop him in a points league? He strikes out so much. Uh, yeah, points league, the standard for a a must must roster hitter is awfully high, and Solaire doesn't meet it. Okay, but in any type of five outfielder roto, you would hold on to him. Yeah, yeah, five outfielder roto, sure. Let's talk a little bit about Glaber Torres in this same discussion here. Chris put out an article on Tuesday and had Glaber Torres as a sell low. Get something for Glaber Torres while you can. And since the start of last season, Glaber Torres is batting 242 with a 687 OPS, four home runs in 74 games. The plate discipline is actually strong. 13% walk rate, 17% strikeout rate. Of 186 hitters with at least 250 plate appearances over the last two seasons, Glaber Torres' 24% hard contact rate is the ninth lowest in baseball. Ninth lowest of 186 batters. So... What's your worryometer, Scott, on Glaber? It, it, he's kind of shown signs recently of breaking out of it, but it's, he still he has one home run on the season. It's May twelfth. Yeah, so probably like a probably like a six or a seven on Glaber Torres compared to that five for Eddie Rosario. You know, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, he his his career started he, so effortlessly. You know, there was the 38 homer season and sophomore season, but he, he looked good as a rookie too. He looked like an early to mid round type player as a rookie, like a potential 30 homer guy then. So it's just, it's weird the way he's dropped off. Obviously you give him a pass for the 2020 season, but, but now this, and he's, he's squarely in that group of hitters that I just have no idea how to evaluate anymore. I just need... I need to see more info. I, I probably won't know how to evaluate them all season, frankly. After the season, can get a sense of who recovered to, to, to put up worthwhile stats and who didn't. But right now, I'm just totally lost with these guys. I would put like Anthony Rizzo in that category, Paul Goldschmidt. So many hitters. <laughs> so many hitters. Don't know what to make of them. The last thing I will bring up about Gleyber Torres is that I mentioned the plate discipline. Past two years, it's been up. He's got a 13% walk rate. I think he's actually being a little bit too patient and he's being too selective. I think he's got to go back to chasing pitches a little bit more, which is something we don't normally say. But back in 2019, when he hit those 
<clears throat> 38 home runs. He had a 35% chase rate. Since then, it's been 25%. So I, I, just be the player that you are, right? Like, don't try to be something mm-hmm. that you're not. And that, uh, that was something that stood out to me for Glaber Torres as well. So if we see that kind of ticking up a little bit, uh, maybe it'll lead to to him being a better player. We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to do buy, sell, or hold for some starting pitchers who pitch on Tuesday. We'll do that next here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Let's talk about the pitcher who opposed Shohei Otani on Tuesday and Lance McCullers was absolutely fantastic. Eight innings, one run, two walks, nine strikeouts, ERA down to 3.10. He had 13 swinging strikes on 96 pitches and continues to use this changeup a little bit more this year. I mean, normally it's been the curveball, Scott, that uh, that McCullers would get all this, do all his damage with. Um, mm-hmm. He's like, has a legit four-pitch repertoire, sinker, slider, changeup, curveball. I kind of feel like this is the best version of McCullers that we have seen. So if you yeah, have the and it option. hasn't even been going on all year. It's just been the last few starts, basically. And uh, he, he did it with the stated goal of he felt like he was leaving some innings on the table by not having a diverse enough arsenal. And sure enough, four straight quality starts, four of six plus. There was a seven inning start in there. There was, of course, this eight inning start. And uh, I think he's... I think he's better off for it. Still has an incredible ground ball rate. Still getting swinging strikes at a rate that's typical for him. Uh, the XFIP's a little high, but he's the walk rate's been kind of high. So, yeah, overall, overall he's looking good. And actually, the XFIP, I'm sorry, updated with this after this most recent start. The XFIP is back in line with what we're used to seeing from him too. Nice. Would you buy, sell, or hold all McCullers? Where's your confidence in him? I don't think it's a bad idea to try shopping him just because there's a surplus of pitchers in this range and he's coming off his best start of the season and he has an injury history. He's never thrown even 130 innings in a season. So not a bad idea to shop him, but if you don't find a great return, then nothing wrong with holding on to him either. How about Robbie Ray, who was at the Braves on Tuesday? Six innings, three runs, one walk, 10 strikeouts, 18 swinging strikes on 99 pitches. Now, the Braves do swing and miss quite a bit. I believe they're 10th in baseball in swinging strike rate, but this was still a pretty impressive performance. 33 strikeouts to just one walk over Robbie Ray's last four starts, Scott. So if you had the option, buy, sell, or hold, where are you at on Robbie Ray? I guess hold. I don't know the buy. I don't know what the case would be to buy, but 
I guess if somebody was offering him for dirt cheap. But no, I'm I'm pretty excited about what he's done here. This walk, the walk he issued in this game was his first in his past in, in four starts, one walk and four starts for Robbie Ray. He's throwing harder than he ever has before, and he's walking fewer guys than he ever has before. And for a while, it was like, where are the strikeouts? But suddenly, three out of four starts, I believe it is, with nine plus. So, yeah, this this might be the best Robbie Ray ever. And that's saying something when you go back and look at his 2017 season. Yeah, uh, because he's walking so few, it's it's allowing him to pitch deeper into games, too, and, and because of that efficiency. So, you know, normally when he was in his prime, yeah, he'd give you all these strikeouts. He'd give you, whatever, 10, do, uh, 10 strikeouts, double-digit strikeout games. But a lot of times it would be five. Maybe he would get to six innings. I, I agree. This might be the best version of Robbie Ray that we have seen. So I, I am pretty excited about him. I'd I'd be willing to hold or or potentially even buy if, if someone's not buying into him mm-hmm. the way that we are, right? So kind of a buy-high situation there for Robbie Ray. How about Jordan Montgomery at the Tampa Bay Rays? Six innings, one run, one walk. Nine strikeouts, 17 swinging strikes on 85 pitches. Of course, Tampa Bay has one of the highest swinging strike rates in baseball. The ERA is down to 3.96. Buy, sell, or hold? I would probably sell. I mean, this was clearly his best start of the season. He does have a second matchup this week. I believe it's against the Orioles, another another favorable one. So obviously, you want to take advantage of that. But he's he's pretty meh. He's not going to be a big bat misser generally. He's not going to pitch uh, six with enough consistency. This is only his third quality start this year. So, yeah, not not super excited about Montgomery in the, over the long run. If you could turn Montgomery into someone like Moustakis or, or Lourdes Gurriel, would yep. you do it? Yep. I, yep. I'm, I'm going to try to compare pitcher for hitter trades more moving forward because it seems like because everyone has such a surplus for pitchers, I, I don't know that a lot of pitcher-for-pitcher pitcher trades are happening or are even necessary at this point. Uh, so I'll, mm-hmm. I'll try and find some hitters that we can compare these these pitchers to when, when we're talking trades. How about Matthew Boyd, Scott? You gotta give the guy some credit. At some point, Scott, you gotta do it. His first start back against the Kansas City Royals, six shutout, four hits, two walks, five strikeouts, 12 swinging strikes on 92 pitches for Matthew Boyd. He threw four different pitches at least 11 times in the start. The changeup usage remains up, and it's really helped all of his other pitches so far this season. You know, in the past, he was he would throw a, a blah fastball, 91, 92, and he would throw his slider a ton, like 30% plus of the time, and it just wasn't a great formula. Now he's mixing in the curve, the change a little bit more. I really like what I've seen from Matthew Boyd Scott. There will be some regression. You know, he's not going to pitch to a two ERA or whatever, but I think he's serviceable. Buy, sell, or hold. Sell. So, no, I, I still think... <laughs> you hate Matthew I st- Boyd. <laughs> I still think there's a lot of disaster waiting. Awaited. Disaster waiting to happen, potentially, uh, because he remains an extreme fly ball pitcher, ninth highest fly ball rate among pitchers this year, and yet he's allowed one home run, yep. a single home run. Like, you can't... You can't tell me that's not good home run luck. It's still a good era for home runs. It's not the past two years, granted, but it's it's still a good time for... It, it's still a prolific time for home runs. And uh, Boyd's allowed one, even with that high fly ball rate. So you can understand then why his XFIP is 491 <laughs> for 
Four ninety one. So that's that's interesting because his FIP is two ninety six. But FIP, what XFIP does that FIP doesn't. XFIP measures fly ball rate. FIP measures home run rate. So right. FIP is just saying, oh, clearly he's good at preventing home runs. Yeah. I don't think that's true. I think that XFIP is what you need to look at, and it's four ninety one. But what I will add to that, Scott, is with that home run to fly ball ratio down across the middle class hitters throughout baseball that we've talked about. Maybe he can suppress home runs this season, right? Like with this ball that they're using, maybe this is the year that, you know, okay, like I'm not saying draft him next year, but maybe he could just yeah. somehow manage to outpitch his XFIP because home run per fly ball rate is down for most hitters, right? So I agree with yeah, you. No, that maybe it, he can be better than, I mean, last two, he was ridiculously bad 19.7 percent home run to fly ball rate last year 18.2 the year before but go back to 2018 the year that's very much like this year in terms of home run rate it was 11.2 the home run to fly ball rate certainly Mm -hmm. better than 18 or 19 percent 11.2 but right now his for this season is is below two percent you know yeah so there's a there's a lot of correction coming there with the home runs no matter how you slice it marcus stroman up against the baltimore orioles six and a third one run, five strikeouts, 14 swinging strikes on 90 pitches. The ERA down to 1.99, 3.24 XFIP on the year. He's got a 56% ground ball rate. That is fifth among qualified starting pitchers. And the best control that we've ever seen from Marcus Stroman, Scott. So buy, sell, or hold on him. I think I'd hold. Uh, yeah, I mean, this is the best XFIP of his career. The fact that he has the lowest walk rate of his career, I guess that makes sense, but... Of course, the main thing that Stroman has always been good at is is keeping the ball on the ground. That hasn't changed this year. If he continues with this kind of control, he's shaping up to be a career year for a guy who's you know already a pretty good pitcher. If you have a pitching surplus, Stroman is probably one I would look to shop. Just to be clear, yeah. Um, but I I think he is. I think he's going to be plenty startable all season long. Last one I wanted to talk about, Chris Bassett, <laughs> another one where like, we want to keep doubting him, but he just keeps showing up and proving us wrong. This time at the Boston Red Sox, seven innings, two runs, zero walks, 10 strikeouts, and the ERA is down to 3.54. He's allowed exactly two earned runs in each of his last six starts, 46 strikeouts to 37 innings pitched during that span. Scott, buy, sell, or hold Chris Bassett. Yeah, the whiff rate has gone way up this start with the 10 strikeouts. He only had 12 whiffs um, in getting those 10 strikeouts, but it was at Boston and it was his fifth straight start with double digit swinging strikes when that wasn't something he did very often last year, even when he was having success, success those double digit swinging strike starts. So a lot of S sounds. <laughs> Sally sells seashells by the seashore. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty on board with Bassett. At this point, 338 XFIP, that was well over four last year with the success he was having then. There's that word again. (laughs) And um, yeah, 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 yeah. Who would you pretty much on board? Who would you rather, if you have both on your team and you're looking to sell one of them, who would you rather sell, Stroman or Chris Bassett? I think I would prefer to trade Stroman, which is kind of a gamble because he's more of a known quantity. But yeah, I think I'd rather shoot for the lower whip with Bassett. 
Let's take a look at some waiver wire starting pitchers and talk about Yusei Kikuchi. Catch you up on this start. Still going on in the West Coast. Yusei Kikuchi finishes six and a third, six hits, three runs, one walk, 11 strikeouts against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Kikuchi is 57% rostered. Uh, I'm going to lump these four names together, go Scott. Way up. You let me uh, you let me know which one you like most. JT Brubaker against the Reds, six innings, one run, four strikeouts. Has been awesome this year. He's 70% rostered. Uh, Logan Webb against the Texas Rangers, 10 strikeouts over six innings. Adbert Alzali at Cleveland, six innings, three runs, six strikeouts, zero walks. So between Brubaker, Kikuchi, Alzali, and Webb, rank them. Kikuchi, Alzali, Brubaker, Webb. This was kind of the first start for Webb where we saw that that mythical changeup from this spring that got compared to Luis Castillo's changeup. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a joke in and of itself, right? You don't want that. Um, so that was, you know, I was encouraged to see it from Webb, but got to see more of it. Uh, Alzali continues to pile up whiffs with that slider. That's now his most used pitch. Uh, Brubecker keeps getting ground balls. He is, I believe, I think, I think he has the fourth best ground ball rate. Yeah. Fourth best ground ball rate. So that's, that's obviously explains his success. Who I said it right. And <laughs> you say Kikuchi, that brings us to you say Kikuchi, whose last three starts have all been amazing. They've been his best three swinging strike starts of the season. His velocity. It, it, he, he gained about a mile per hour on the fastball, maybe a little less than that, over that three-start stretch. And we've seen the effectiveness take off. Um, so yeah, Kikuchi may be, may be turning a corner here. And Kikuchi has kind of gone down this uh, Hugh Darvish, Joe Musgrove route of using his curveball, uh, his cutter rather, as his main pitch. He threw it 54 times against the Dodgers on Tuesday. That accounted for 51% of his pitches. He had 17 swinging strikes on 106 Eight of those came on his cutter, so he's using that basically as his main pitch, and, and as you mentioned, the four-seam velocity up there, so lots to like about Yusei Kikuchi right now. Scott, would you drop to Nelson Lamette for any, all of these pitchers? Oh, that, that two-inning pitcher, Denelson Lamette? His velocity was way down again. It was, I think it was three miles per hour down on his fastball, two miles per hour down on the slider. Gosh. I don't think I'd drop him for... Well, I want to drop him for Webb, and I wouldn't drop him for Brubaker, I don't think. But if... if would I drop him for... Would I drop him for Alzali? Alzali is kind of healthy Denelson Lamette right now. Not as good, but... Well, yeah, that's, just, that's exaggerating it, but... Just two pitches, and... I see similarities. I don't think I could... I don't think I could drop Lamette yet for Alzali, but we're getting close to that point. He's got to... It's got to show us something. But uh, Kikuchi, yeah, if that was the only way I could get Kikuchi on the roster, I think I'd do it. All right. I wanted to talk a little bit about Jesse Winker, Scott. Should our confidence be growing? I brought him up maybe last week or two weeks ago, and you were like, ah, you know, he's done this before, and he's dealt with so many injuries. So I want to check back in and see if your confidence is actually uh, has actually grown for him. He went three for four with his seventh home run on Tuesday. He's batting 374. And StatCast page is filled with red. He's absolutely crushing the ball. Launch angle is up. There were 
know, for a couple of years, Winker would just, he would hit too many ground balls. He wouldn't put the the ball in the air enough. He's up to a career high fourteen point five degree average launch launch angle. I kind of feel like at a position where everyone stinks, right, Scott? In the outfield, like Winker, should we get him inside our top twenty five, uh, close to like that Jared Walsh range, basically? Probably. So the other side of the coin from what I was saying about not having confidence in my ability to assess any mid-class hitter who's struggling in this new environment is that any mid-class hitter who's performing well, I feel like there's no choice but to buy into him. It's it's much easier in Winker's case. And of course, the the year I preach caution on him is is the year he's probably going to break through because in, in addition, you, you mentioned the launch angle, but bringing it down more specifically, he has a line drive rate over... 30% right now, which, it, like, if you have a line drive rate over 25%, it, it, it's going to be hard for you not to hit for average, you know? Uh, if it's over 30, like, probably going to compete for batting title, I would say. And uh, the fact that his lineup spot seems to be more secure than ever, which, I guess, how could it not be with him hitting so well? I can't imagine being so confident in the rest of my lineup at this point, the rest of my fantasy lineup that oh, I'm going to sell high on Winker. I just can't imagine. I, I can't imagine being the guy in that position. So um, yeah, bind a Winker. How can you not? Yeah. He's an injury risk. It's kind of, it's, he's a very different player than Byron Buxton. I get like, you know, they don't have similar skill sets, but it's kind of a similar situation where now that he's breaking out, I kind of feel like you should just reap the rewards. Like you shouldn't just try to sell high because if Winker stays healthy, he's one of these guys where I could see him hit well over 300, 30 plus homers in a great ballpark, leading off for a an okay lineup, a decent lineup there with Cincinnati. His uh, 30.4% line drive rate is fourth best among qualified hitters so far this year. So uh, our confidence growing with Jesse Winker. Scott, I mentioned I might have an outfielder to buy on and... I don't really know where his valuation at is right now, so maybe we figure this out together. But see, Oscar Hernandez, he is batting 326 with two homers and one steal with just a 15% strikeout rate in 11 games since returning from the IL. Now, we, we didn't like T. Oscar Hernandez basically across the board on this podcast coming into the year. But mm-hmm. if a player makes adjustments in season and you can get them at a cheaper cost than what they were before the season started, during draft season, when he was a top 100 pick, then I think there's an opportunity to buy. And I, I like what I've seen from Teoscar since he's returned from the IL. So what do you think? I mean, yeah, if he can get that strikeout rate down, I'm very suspicious of that. I mean, the, the, the cumulative strikeout rate for him, as good as it's been in those 11 games, is still like right at 30, basically, which is where it's always been, where it was last year. Uh, so... Yeah, I'm not ready to say anything's changed for him. I could see buying low on him just just because you want another potential impact bat at a position that's been difficult to fill and just hoping for the best. But that's that's all I'd be doing if I was buying on Hernandez right now. Would you trade... Jordan Montgomery or Matthew Boyd, who you had as sell candidates for Teoscar Hernandez? Yeah, I would trade either of them for Hernandez. Do you think that's a realistic trade? Do you think that's something that can happen? Yeah, 
Yeah, I do. I mean, you should probably aim higher with Boyd right now, as good as his numbers look. Mm-hmm. Do you, so you think you can get maybe like a Charlie Blackman for Matthew Boyd? Or is that too high? No, I don't think it's too high at all. I think. Okay. I, I think you could. I think you should aim high with Boyd. Aim, aim as high as you're willing to to accept rejection on, accept uh, mockery for, and uh, and then dial back from there. Um, yeah, Montgomery. I'd be surprised if you could really get anything of value for him, but it's worth a try, probably for. Uh, for like the Hernandez range on down. I've got some waiver wire hitters I wanted to mention. Nick Senzel. I'm going to just keep talking about him until his roster rate is, you know, over 70 or 80%. He had three more hits on Tuesday. He now has 14 hits over his last nine games. He has two steals on the season with five caught stealing. So at some point, they're probably going to tell him to stop running. Uh, he is 96 percentile in sprint speed, but has not been fortunate on the base paths. He is 64% rostered. Adam Frazier had two more hits, including his first homer of the season. He is batting 312, 59% rostered. Jorge Polanco coming on strong now. Seven hits over his last three games, including two homers. He is 63% rostered. Scott, specifically with those last two that have middle infield eligibility, would you drop Kevin Biggio for either, both Frazier or Jorge Polanco? No, I wouldn't do it for either. But I'm I'm disgusted because you don't you have no idea. All my like 15 team roto leagues have been starting Jorge Polanco all season. I finally bench him this week. <laughs> what happens? He starts to come around, and uh, I think it's going to keep getting. It's been a while since I've looked at Jorge Polanco's underlying numbers, but last I looked, the line drive rate was still great. The strikeout rate was still great. Eh, the strikeout rate's a little high for him, but it's not a bad strikeout rate. Line drive rate's a little low for him. Okay. So, uh, yeah, hard, hard, harder to say he's going to bounce back given those numbers, but he at least appears to be trending that direction. Uh, some deeper league hitters. Cesar Hernandez has nine hits, including two homers over his last eight games. Robbie Grossman went two for five with a triple and five RBI. He is 20% rostered on CBS. Taylor Ward, Scott, you mentioned his name last week. He went two for three with his second home run of the season. I saw you took him from me in the Dynasty League, <laughs> the 24-teamer. It was, I had I had my bid lined up probably before I mentioned you, him to you on this podcast, and then you went and... I, I did not put a bid in for him until after the podcast ended. Yeah, Scott, and it was so. a $3 bid, right? <laughs> yep. Mine was two, so... Ha! Take that! Yeah. Uh, Taylor Ward, and then Troy Stokes, which I, I, I didn't know who this gentleman was until a couple of days ago when he got called up for the Pirates, but good for him. I uh, finally made it to the big leagues. He went two for three with a double, two RBI, a walk, and his first career steal. He has three seasons with 20-plus steals in the minors. Scott, anything you'd like to add about Cesar Hernandez, who actually has pretty good underlying numbers, according to StatCast, uh, Robbie Grossman, Taylor Ward, and Troy Stokes Jr. Yeah, I could see Hernandez becoming a pretty valuable piece if he if he gets his batting average up backward, back up where it normally is and you say the underlying numbers are good. So there's a decent chance of that. If 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 it's not going to be as easy for so many middle infielders to hit 20 plus home runs in this environment, which I mean, like I said, like I've said a few times, go back and look at 2018, still plenty of them did then. But it would make a non-home runner, run hitter like Hernandez, who excels in other ways, it would make him more valuable. Some Thursday leftovers. Manny Machado went two for five with a home run, a triple, and five RBI. He has been scuffling recently, but another one where the 
Uh, StatCast numbers say that he's been a little bit unlucky. So anyone out there in your league concerned about Manny Machado, go out and get him. John Means followed up his no-hitter at the Mets. Six shutout, six hits, zero walks, three strikeouts. They only let him throw 74 pitches in this one. I think mm. that was probably planned after he threw so many in the no-hitter. John Means leisure. <laughs> only throwing 74 pitches. Uh, Marcus Semien now has 16 hits during a 10-game hitting streak. The batting average is up to 267. Kenta Maeda and Dylan Cease were both meh. They allowed three earned runs each over five innings pitched. Mitch Hanniger had a double dong. Uh, anything you would like to say about any of the players I just mentioned, Scott? Yeah. As a matter of fact, there is. <laughs> a lot I'd like to say, Frank. Breezing by these guys. Okay, so I made reference to Avaldi earlier. He only had six swinging strikes in this start, as good as it was, and that's actually three straight now where the swinging strikes have been bad. To combine 20 strikes... Combined 20 swinging strikes in Evaldi's last three starts after doing so well with that number early in the season and uh, barely throwing any sliders now. Uh, the case for him early on was, oh, look, he, he does not just one breaking ball, but two. This is something we've never seen before. Look at how he plays them off each other and gets all these missed bats. And that's not happening for Evaldi anymore. So I don't know. Losing faith in him. Meanwhile, Dylan Cease has, looks like, you know, not such a great start. Three earned runs in five innings, seven strikeouts, whatever. 20 swinging strikes in those five innings. 20 swinging strikes. What did what would it have been if he'd made it seven? It'd be like a Jacob deGrom number. 10 of those 20 swinging strikes came on his fastball, which is not a pitch that you normally see get a lot of swinging strikes. The spin rate, which I'd been talking about with Cease's past couple outings, was still amazing, like a league-leading type uh, spin rate on that fastball which explains all the swinging strikes the spin rate was still amazing on the slider like it was last time I think this guy is uh, very much on the right track and I would not give a thought to dropping him I'd probably be looking to buy him at this point especially after this start because this may be one of the last starts for Dylan Cease that's this ordinary and then I want to talk about Kinta Maeda too, because I did see one good sign for Kinta Maeda amid the not so great start. You know, only three strikeouts in five innings, only 10 swinging strikes. Neither of those numbers is very good. But I did notice that six of his 10 swinging strikes came on his splitter. Six out of the 14 splitters hitters swung at, they swung and missed. That's a 43% whiff rate, which is different from a swinging strike rate because it's number of misses on number of swings versus number of misses on number of pitches. So yeah, 43% whiff rate on the splitter in this start, which is about what the whiff rate was on a splitter last year. And remember, that's the that's the pitch that the results seem to change the most on. His, his whiff rate on his splitter was way down. So the whiff rate on a splitter was... Back to 2020 standards, at least for this one start. The overall line wasn't great, but, you know, I, I take that as a positive sign for Kinta Maeda. All righty. The call to the pen. We'll get some bullpen updates here. Jake McGee got his 10th save of the season. He now has three straight scoreless appearances. For the Oakland A's, Jake Diekman came in for his fourth save, uh, and he was facing a lefty, a righty, a righty, and then he actually had to face five batters, so it was another lefty after that. But, uh, yeah, it... it 
continues to look like musical chairs here for the Oakland A's in the ninth inning. Uh, for Cleveland, Emmanuel Class A got his seventh save. James Karinchak recorded a four-out hold. For the Orioles, Cesar Valdez allowed two runs. He took his third blown save and the loss. For Toronto, Jordan Romano, baby. This is why we drafted you. 29, Finally got in. 29 pitches, but he did record his first save of the season. It was pretty stressful. A hit allowed, a walk allowed. Uh, he's 49% rostered, so if you need him in a categories league, you need saves, definitely look uh, go out there and get Jordan Romano. And then for the Tigers, it wasn't a save opportunity. They were up four runs in the ninth, but Jose Cisnero came in. He allowed four runs. The game was tied, and then they eventually brought in Gregory Soto to put out the fire, but uh, I was surprised that they didn't bring in Gregory Soto a little bit earlier in that game. I was just watching the Dodgers and Mariners, and man, Rafael Montero... This guy's cooked. He is done. An inning and a third, two hits, three runs, came in in a one-run game, completely blew it, gave up a three-run homer to Gavin Lux. I I just... Are I, you sure, Frank? I wouldn't be surprised if this guy is like DFA'd tomorrow. Because I, I, thought, I thought it happened after the third blown save. I was pretty sure after the fourth blown save. He after has the fifth blown save, five. I'm kind of going the other direction now <laughs> and thinking he's just uh, untouchable. Gosh, I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. That I, I think it's one of those like kind of weird baseball political things where they traded for him in the offseason, so they kind of feel like they need to justify the trade by continuing to throw him out there, but he's bad. He's got a 5.51 ERA. He's blown five saves. Kenley Jansen on the other side, by the way. Uh, he struck out two. He has six saves. He has a 1.76 ERA, so everything looks great for Kenley Jansen. To stream or not to stream for Wednesday, Scott, choose three of these. Matt Harvey at the Mets. Oh, I remember this group. It's pretty bad. Zach Davies at Cleveland. Casey Mize versus the Royals. John Gant at the Brewers. Andrew Heaney at the Astros. And Jay Happ at the White Sox. Yeah, so Heaney's the only one I'd consider for the strikeout rate, and if I'm looking to preserve ERA and whip, not going to do it. I really don't want to pick any others. Chris, if he was here, would say John Gant is pretty good. John Gant has like a 3.24 ERA for his career. Yeah. That's my Chris Sowers impression. I'm not willing to go there, but just to, to, to represent the Chris wing, I will, I will throw John Gant's name out there. I'm looking to see if there are any pitchers available that they recently added to the probables for Wednesday. James Caprillion is pitching for the Oakland A's. That's interesting. Uh, not that you would start him, but he's a former prospect. He's, I believe he's had two Tommy John surgeries, but pay attention to the name, James Caprillion. Um, anyone else? Nope. Justin Dunn at the Dodgers. Don't want to do that either. To stream or not to stream for Thursday, Daniel Lynch at the Tigers, Spencer Turnbull versus the Royals, Merrill Kelly versus the Marlins, Garrett Richards versus the A's, Wade Miley at the Rockies, and Mike Fultonevich at the Astros. Oh, gosh. You got another all-star lineup, Scott. That's not much better. Uh, Garrett Richards, uh, he, he's looked better. Made some changes to his delivery. Two of his last three starts, anyways, looked impressive. Tough matchup against Oakland, but he'd probably be my first choice if you're making me pick one of these. And you are. Um, I, Wade Miley at Colorado might be my second choice. Which tells you everything you need to know. I don't want to pick a third. Uh, Turnbull. Turnbull against the Royals. That's my third. Let's wrap up with a few emails slash Apple podcast review questions that we received. And this is an APR from Alberto Macias. Grade the trade. Head-to-head categories. OBP. 
traded away Aaron Judge and Emmanuel Class A for Bryce Harper and Zach Gallen. Seems pretty good. Yeah, it does. I would give that trade a... A. A minus. A minus. A minus. This is an Apple podcast review from Amy Moak, 92. 12 team heads head points to create space for Alex Kirilov on my IL. I traded Steven Strasburg for Trent Grisham. What do you think, Scott? Grade the trade? I give that trade head head points link. Mm. I still give it a favorable grade. I'll, I'll give it a B. Trent Grisham is so awesome, by the way. I mean, the guy has just been, he's been great this year. It, this happens every year, Scott, with at least one player that gets a little bit banged up in, in spring training and I get scared off. I get spooked away and, and then I just wind up with no shares. But I liked Grisham and I didn't get him anywhere, so that stinks. Grade the trade from Maxwell. Traded Jesse Winka and Alex Reyes for Francisco Lindor. Yeah, I mean, you obviously have to do it. What kind of grade would I give it? Lower than you might think. B plus. I was thinking B minus. I was hmm. wrestling with a C plus, Scott. I mean, it's Bro, still it's you, still you, you, you love you some Winker, huh? I, I like Winker quite a bit. Alex Reyes looks like an elite closer too. So, um, yeah, I, I would still take. Walks. I would have take the trade. I would have took the trade myself. Uh, grade the trade from Andrew. I traded Matt Manning and Shane McClanahan for Charlie Morton in a keeper league where you keep 14. It's a quality starts league. Um, not sure how many teams are in the league. I assume like 12. So yeah, Manning and McClanahan, they would not be automatic keepers at all. So I like it. Yeah. Charlie Morton keeps talking about retiring. So I don't know that you'll have him beyond this year, but right. I'm just thinking it, it might be tough to make Manning or McClanahan part of your 14 keepers, unless you're just a true rebuilding team. So I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think you lose much long-term here by, by shooting your shot with Morton, who, by the way, his home run to fly ball rate, you're, you're saying, Frank, that uh, all these hitters, you know, their fly balls aren't turning into home runs as easily. Morton's home run to fly ball rate is about twice what it normally is, about two times as high as what it's been the past two years. So, you know, I, I was saying Matthew Boyd's due for worse home run luck. Morton's due for much, much better home run luck. Grade the trade here. This last one's from Gonzo. I'm in a 8 by 8 league, standard, but with OPS on hit, hitting and K per 9 with saves plus holds on pitching. Just dealt Waskari Noah for Ryan McMahon, and I'm feeling pretty good about it. Loving McMahon's advanced stats, 230 ISO, an above average ex-WOBA, and he's making real hard contact. Yeah, I, I dove back into Ryan McMahon on Tuesday, and I love what I saw, man. Like, Mm-hmm. I, he's doing everything that he should to break out. So, yeah, no, this is a great deal. Yeah, I don't have a ton of confidence in Anoa sustaining this to begin with, but even if I did, I think just given the relative scarcity of uh, dependable bats and McMahon being McMahon being a triple eligible one on top of it, yeah, I, I like the deal. All righty, we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.